Hi there, and welcome to Be a Global Citizen, a podcast that explores the concept of global citizenship through the lens of value-creating education. My name is Scott Bauer, and I'm a SOCA researcher and educator. I hope you find the discussions, stories, and insights on this podcast to be valuable and inspiring as we strive to become global citizens who are committed to living a contributive life. On our episode today, I'm joined by Joana Roque de Pinho. She is a researcher and university professor uh, in Portugal, Lisbon, Portugal, and she is a, an environmental anthropologist. So we had a really wonderful conversation today, really enjoyed learning more about her insights, her fascinating background, all of her travels, and uh, you know, most importantly, kind of where she finds herself now. Um, situated and her thoughts moving forward on global citizenship, I think will really bring to light a lot um, about how we can um, really put into practice these ideals. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello, everyone. My name is Joana Roque-Tupinho. I am an environmental anthropologist working at the Center for International Studies at the Lisbon University Institute in Lisbon, Portugal, uh, as a researcher there. Um... Yeah, thank you so much, Joana. It's wonderful to have you on the podcast. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, all the way in Portugal, I'm over here in Brazil. And um, yeah, so let's let's just get started with the first question. Um, I'd love to hear more about your professional background. So you're working at a at a university. I'd love to hear just um, kind of what what events led you to like the, your area of of study and interest. And um, yeah, and I just you know like some of the places that you've been and you know. Okay, so I think my career path was not the most um, intuitive. I I actually was trained as a biologist at the um, University of Lisbon, uh, here in Lisbon, in Portugal. I was trained as a biologist. But first, you might need to know that I grew up mostly in France and in Switzerland in the Alps region mostly in the mountains, and to this day I still love mountains, but I used to spend my summers in Portugal, and I became obsessed with the ocean. So I decided early on, living in a landlocked region, that I wanted to be an oceanographer. So I convinced my parents to come and study at the university here in Lisbon and become a marine biologist. (laughs) Halfway through my training, which at the time was of five years, I realized that uh, becoming an oceanographer was going to require from me uh, lots of uh, quantitative skills, which I didn't really have and wanted to have. And I slowly started to diverge towards uh, terrestrial ecology. And I was extremely fortunate to spend my last practical year in South Africa. And my South African experience, uh, where I went as a wildlife biologist to do some fieldwork, opened my eyes to the social dimensions of wildlife and biodiversity conservation. So here is a country, and like many other places in the world, where wild animals seem to be more taken care of by governments and international organizations than the rural people uh, living on the other side of the fence. Um, 
And when I came back to Portugal, I was really fascinated with this question. How do you rec reconcile the interest of wildlife conservation, but also of the people? Um, and people, people were in the past coexisting with wildlife, and here they are separated by fences, uh, being depicted uh, as the enemies of wildlife, and so on. So I realized then that um, that my interest was, was becoming more and more in the social dimensions of uh, biodiversity conservation. So that interest led me to a PhD in an interdisciplinary program uh, in ecology at Colorado State University in the US. Um, which I was able to do thanks to a Fulbright uh, scholarship. And I think my international background was very important in my, in my getting the, the scholarship. Um, and uh, yes, and my multicultural background and the fact that I speak several languages, I, I've seen how important through my professional and personal life this background has had. So um, here I am in the U.S. in Colorado State at Colorado State University. I'd never been in the U.S. before. Uh, that was also a very um, important and interesting experience. That led me for two years of fieldwork in Kenya amongst um, uh, a pastoralist community in southern Kenya, uh, the Maasai, the well-known Maasai that live uh, around some of the most iconic protected areas of East Africa, Kenya and Tanzania. From there, I've also conducted research in, um, in a national park in Guinea-Bissau, also looking at conservation policies, the impacts of those policies on farming communities. Um, and so on. And nowadays, I have I am leading and um, coordinating several research projects that have taken on e an even bigger global <laughs> uh, dimension uh, beyond Africa. So currently, I have uh, I am the principal investigator of a research project that is looking at uh, linked environmental and religious changes in dryland areas. So some pastoral areas uh, that include Kenya as well. Um, together with um, with colleagues working in, in Mozambique, but also in Mongolia with pastoralists and mining and a Native American reservation in South Dakota with another colleague. And another project is actually um, a working group uh, working with uh, a working group of uh, academics that a year and a half ago found themselves locked down in their homes. Uh, but we're interested in finding out what, um, how dryland communities of these three drylands uh, were, were responding to the impacts of the lockdown measures uh, in many African countries, but also in Inner Asia and, and in the US. And so we've established research partnerships with friends and former research assistants in those communities in drylands. And already for a year and a half, with them uh, who send us data on their lives and their experiences with the pandemic we've been documenting how these dryland communities have responded to the pandemic so um, uh, more recently yes i've moved on a bit beyond uh, the usual african context i've been working on to look uh, at the dryland areas which are really really interesting areas in the world by the way
Wow. Wow. Your story is so fascinating. It's, it's very like, you know, definitely not the, the traditional path. And it's, and I also found that, you know, from, you know, where you grew up and the various places that you had been traveled to, um, it seems that uh, geography, like the type of geography that you found yourself in was very important. And you know, I think this, so. You're this, right. You know, background. Yeah, this background. You know, of like really appreciating the mountains, but then having this, you know, this um, kind of like yearning to to see the ocean. But then you found yourself doing a PhD in, deserts, in Colorado. Oh. <laughs> well, it, well, I mean, yeah. Then the, the Colorado has great mountains, right? And then the desert and drylands, exactly. Drylands. <laughs> and so I mean, I, I'm just curious to to hear more about you know that kind of like that you know the human connection you know maybe from speaking from your own personal experiences to the geography and how important that is and kind of shaping your your worldview the human connections well they're definitely extremely important i would say friendships are extremely important uh, they can, they, I think, in my experience, they can come easier. E well, not necessarily easier. They might seem easier in some places than in others. Um, and I think each region or country can have its own version of what a friend means or what friendships are. I remember, for example, for me, at first in the US, I was very shocked because I thought that, you know, Americans are so friendly that you create this illusion that you have so many friends and then no they're not friends yet yet because i stayed many years in the us and i can say that i ended up having really fantastic american friends but in in contrast with this i think in portugal it doesn't look easy to to make friends at first um mm -hmm. So it takes more time. And so anyway, yes, the human connections are very important. Uh, I like to work with people who are friends. And that, that also goes for my work in those local communities. Um, uh, like I said, when we created this working group to look at the impact of, um, of, uh, of COVID in this dryland, we reached out not just to our former research assistants, but also with friends that we had in those communities after years of living there or conducting research there. Um, and it's interesting to, to me to see how, you know, friendship is defined uh, depending on your cultural context and how you experience friendship. Um, mm -hmm. No, yes, I think it's, it, yes, I, I, I eventually became an anthropologist because I, I I really enjoy getting out of my cultural comfort zone um, mm. and and crossing these borders and just learning from my own experience how other people live and experience life um, in these various communities. Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting. Like, um, I, I, I'm. Getting out of your comfort zone, like I, I can relate. Um, <laughs> having been from the U.S., uh, I'm from the U.S. and then living in Brazil. But before that, I had also traveled to several of the South American countries, mm -hmm. and you know those experiences, while amazing and very stimulating, it also was uncomfortable, and you know, it 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 was anxiety ridden, and you know, it was this kind of sense of adventure, and um, but a lot of that 
stepping out of the comfort zone also kind of forced me to grow and and Exactly. I appreciate a lot of those and I'm I'm curious is that something similar to your experiences or did you have I don't know maybe from your parents or close friends they encouraged you to get out of your comfort zone or do you think it was just something that you just felt inside yourself that like I want to do that I think, no, I don't think it was, uh, it was an encouragement out of circumstances. So with my family, I was one year and a half and, and we moved to, to France first and then to Switzerland. And, and, and so I think myself and my siblings, we, 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 we grew up during our childhood with that potential conflict with what is our identity. So I, my, I think my reaction to this has been to become an anthropologist, actually. Um, being, being a Portuguese person in that region at that time was... Not easy because there was a lot of uh, negative prejudice against Portuguese immigrants. Uh, so I grew up knowing a little bit what prejudice is, uh, negative prejudice is growing up, going to school, hearing jokes and hearing preconceived ideas and so on. And that made me very aware of this and made me very aware about, um, uh, what's the name, not prejudice, um, stereotypes. about Mm, stereotypes yes. and 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 under yeah understanding what yes anyway i think it eventually shaped my 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 interest in social sciences and understanding these things um it made me feel somewhat rootless where is my home what is my identity um and eventually i think it's It, it shaped my, my global citizenship uh, vision of the world. I know other kids in that situation might instead choose one country, settle their roots there, and, and really make an effort to become and have one identity and, one, and stay in one place. For me, instead, my approach was to, 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 to travel as much as I could, Um, or live in other places as much as I could, and uh, conducting research is one way to do that. Is one Yeah, way so to it live. sounds. I need to, to to live in communities. I don't I don't consider myself a great traveler. I actually rarely, very rarely travel for pleasure, uh, but I travel a lot and would go to the end of the world for 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 research and for work. And I actually enjoy living. Uh, For, for for an extended period of time in a place rather than, you know, traveling and spending one week, one month here, another month there. Uh, I actually don't travel a lot, but I live a lot in other places. Uh, although that has stopped a little bit now that I have a family. Wow. Yeah, and the <laughs> pandemic as well, uh, of of course. course, And, yes. <laughs> um, but, yes. you know, it really sounds like, you know, you, that you've made this kind of like, um, I don't know, like the, uh, this your own identity, right, through being kind of relocated, uprooted from so many different places. And the the idea of being an outsider no longer scares you. Because I think Mm -hmm. uh, No, being an not outsider, at all. You're right? right, yes. yeah. And I think, you know, as humans, right, we have this notion like hardwired into us, right, that we need to be included, right? That, that we're very communal and tribal, Mm. Mm -hmm. you know, if you will, uh, in this sense. And so, um, you know, despite, <laughs> right, all of these 
disruptions that you face growing up and you know continuing even today it's it's really incredible to to see that you know you've strengthened your your core identity um around you know your research interests around Absolutely. um you know really what brings you joy in the engagement with other people friendships i can imagine mm. that with uh technologies and you know social network maintaining friendships is is it's it helps right to be able to send instantaneous messages and to to keep your tab on how they're doing so um i i would imagine for someone like yourself um that's been a huge benefit you know something that you probably couldn't have done when you were growing up right or maybe not yes yeah well <laughs> i have to say um these days i i am saturated with technology i use it a lot to collect data in the drylands on covid so yes i'm on whatsapp all the time with my friends in the drylands they send pictures videos and they share their their experiences there yes i i've, I've um I think actually without technology uh, and having friends in different continents I think the the connections were more meaningful when we used to write letters to each mm. other uh, yeah. I, I, I've, I yeah I mean until a few years ago I was pretty good with social media and keeping in touch with that but currently you know I no longer take the time to do it unfortunately so I've not been such a such a good global friend uh, <laughs> recently uh, it's true well uh and We're i'd rather yeah, yes i i take the phone and i'd rather have a conversation rather than um, yeah yeah then yeah whatsapp messages yes indeed and, and you know i think that that connects to what you were saying about you know your travel uh have like, you prioritize the quality and you know the length mm -hmm. of time you stay in a place over the quantity of you know locations or cultures that you you pass by yeah, in the same way with yeah. talking communicating Uh, with friends mm. you know it seems like that's it's a high true. value for you yeah, yeah so true. that's great um <laughs> so one thing that um so we we you, you mentioned about you know global citizenship uh this mm. is a podcast about global citizenship uh mm. i wanted to ask you um the term itself global citizenship uh when when was the first time you you heard about it uh is is there a particular moment that you can like pin down when you were like yes. ah there's a concept yes. called global citizenship oh okay actually, i'd love to yes. hear more yes it's actually interesting so the first time i i came across the the term itself uh was in writing on a website of the aga khan foundation uh it's mm. one of their core values i think um having lived in 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 kenya uh i i where the Aga Khan Foundation, um, you know, all over East Africa, Central Asia, India, uh, Mozambique and uh, Tanzania, the, the Aga Khan provide lots of um, high quality education and uh, health services, which I've benefited from some of them. And I've come to really admire their work. And years ago, I heard that the, the Aga Khan Foundation, which uh, the imamate is now... Um, Uh, the he headquarters, if, I, if I'm not uh, wrong, is now in Lisbon, in Portugal. And they were going to open Aga Khan Academy, so a school, uh, international school in Portugal, the first one in Europe. Uh, there is one in India, one in Kenya, one in Maputo, in Mozambique, if I'm not, if I'm not wrong. 
And having a small kid at the time, uh, when I heard that, I was like, wow, that, that must be the perfect school uh, for, 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 my, for our baby son. <laughs> and so I, I, I Googled and I came across you know, the description of the, the academy, the future academy it doesn't exist yet. And there was discussion of the global citizenship approach. And it really clicked to, with, my, with my values. My husband is from Saint-Tomé, an African country uh, in the Gulf of Guinea in West Africa. Uh, so our kid is also uh, also has two cultures, um, might have in the future two nationalities, Portuguese and saint um, and, uh, and I completely clicked with the, how they describe the concept of uh, global citizenship, which at the time, which now I can't remember exactly, but I clicked with it because it clicked with my, my, my our own values um, uh, and also life experiences. My, my husband is also an immigrant to Portugal from uh, first, first to Angola and then to Portugal. So we're definitely a multicultural, uh, although one, only, with only one language amongst us, <laughs> we're a multicultural family with one language, which is Portuguese. See, yeah, that's that must be hard to keep track of. I mean, um, is is it something that um, I'm, I, you you both come from such different backgrounds, unique mm -hmm. um, uh, contexts, um, and then you know, of course, now with your family together with your son, right? Um, is there something that like I don't know? You you spoke about the values and the 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 definition from the Aga Khan Academy about global citizenship. It clicked with you. Um, within your family dynamic, is there like you know particular value that you really wish to instill uh, in your son that you know you think would really help him form this kind of multi-layered, multicultural identity? Yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, I would like him to have the privilege that I had um, of uh, of experience experiencing several cultures, several languages, if possible. Uh, I think um, being, if you're not able to live in a different country, you know, when you are young, in your formative years, at least learn another language. I think it's one of the best ways to learn and understand another culture, to be able to read in that language, to be able to read the news in that language, and then to be able to use that language to travel in, in the countries that speak that language. So um growing bilingual and nowadays i can say i'm fully trilingual with a couple of african languages thrown in the mix but growing fully bilingual portuguese and french i mean was the most incredible I, it's one of the things that i value the most about my childhood uh, i do believe that uh, multilingualism shapes your brain in different ways but also make you my, make help you understand different cultures, which then opens the door to tolerance. And I think that's, uh, to me, that's extremely, extremely important. I think for me, global citizenship is about tolerance and coexisting with different cultures, different communities, um, looking beyond your own, your own community. Um, uh, because ultimately, all of us are, are humans, uh, all of us 
um, experience the same joys and sadnesses. I mean, yeah, the, the, that's another thing, you know, working in these different African communities uh, and traveling. I mean, everywhere you see humans, you know, experiencing exactly the same hardships and joys uh, all over the world. And uh, yeah, learning a different language for me is a big plus um, to on the roads to, to become a, a global citizen. Other oh, things that you. help, traveling, mm -hmm. of course, if you can. Mm -hmm. um, uh, traveling if you can, living in another country if you can, studying ab abroad if you can. Um, in any ways possible, I think is 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 it's crucial. It's absolutely crucial, and actually we've been we've been debating now if we if it would be a good idea to go back to go to Saint Tomé for a year while our kid is still small, and he can stay, you know, is 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 still in preschool. So have have him one more have him have one more preschool year. Uh, while we're having a totally different experience uh, from being in Europe uh, and instead go back to, li yeah, live in the Santomé island for, for, for a year while he's small and to, to give him that background, that totally mm. different experience. Um, yeah. And that of course, I would, love to, I would love to take my family with me on my fieldwork, but unfortunately I work with pastoralists who... Who, who, who uh, you know, and they, there's milk everywhere, and my kid is allergic to milk protein. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah, no, so that would not work. No, it's very dangerous mm -hmm. to take him out there um, while he's still allergic to, to the animal milk protein. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for that response. That, that, that's preventing uh -huh. him becoming a global citizen, his allergies. <laughs> Allergies to milk. <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, you, you, your response it was so excellent. You actually answered my my next question, which was more specifically about you know what global citizenship means. Um, you you mentioned about you know, tolerance, um, being able to like navigate new cultures, and um, and I also think you know from your own story, like kind of that forging of a strong um, sense of identity. Right, um, maybe even character. I think is a, is a, is an a, is an important component that I'm kind of like gauging from from what you shared, um, and yeah, and I I, I love that um, the the value that you place on on being bilingual or multilingual. Um, mm -hmm. Definitely, language really opens up the the gates to a new culture, and with the the tool of language we're able to to access it that much more easily mm -hmm. and what i've come to learn you know especially as like a uh, well an english teacher here in brazil um and for my own self you know living in brazil having to like i i, I need to speak portuguese to get by um it, it's so much more about the relationship that we have with the language and how mm -hmm. can we form as if it was like a friendship with another person it's like, you know, really looking within and being like, yeah, I want to be best friends with the Portuguese language or uh. with the French language. <laughs> and, you know, to, to understand that there's going to be days where things are great, getting along, the words come out, <laughs> and then there's other days that it's complete lockdown, right? And, and it can be <laughs> tough and it can be frustrating. And you want to never speak with your best friend again 
and I just think that was yeah. Yeah. When did you start learning Portuguese? At what age? Um, I I would say my first exposure to the language was in 2013. First time I came to Brazil, it was actually through a course at Okay. Soka University of America. Um, Okay. so at that time, I think I was 20, Okay. 20 years old. Um, Okay. but then, yeah, but then after graduating, I graduated in 2015, uh, from, you know, my undergraduate studies. And then in 2016, I was offered a job at a school here in Brazil. So it's been about five and a half years. And I think that's really when I started learning Portuguese. Okay, yes, yes, But yes. what, what helped me uh, was the fact that, you know, when I started my undergraduate studies, I, I was taking Spanish. So for the first time, uh, I started learning the, the Spanish language and I had an opportunity to do a semester abroad in my third year. And so Spanish really formed the kind of like backbone for my Portuguese because Portuguese, I got to, yeah, that's yeah, useful. so I got to Brazil And then I started speaking Spanish to the Brazilians <laughs> and then Spanish became Portuñol. And exactly. then now I can, I can, I can confidently say that <laughs> I am speaking Portuguese. So okay. it's this gradual, you know, change. <laughs> oh, great. Yes. Um, well, then, yes, I mean, I was lucky... compared to you I th well i think it's a luck actually to be able to to become bilingual bilingual when you're a small child uh and already that's something that our kid is not having because we only speak portuguese at home and uh his school is also all in portuguese and so um, uh it definitely makes it easier when you grew uh, when you grow up bilingual and then it gets it makes it much easier to pick up a third language and a fourth and a fifth, you know, um, True, true. and, All the and neurons, the connections exactly, in your brain. exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly, exactly. So yes, well, I would say the, if possible, uh, another one is to have children start learning languages the earliest uh, possible, but not, not, not necessarily through classes, but, through exposure through 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 being in schools that uh, that give another language um, bilingual schools uh, yeah or, or you know having parents that speak two languages at home that that that, that really helps Yeah, no, uh, I, I definitely see that as a great advantage. Um, uh, it, I, I think back on my, my own kind of like upbringing. So my mom is from South Korea. She's an immigrant. Wow. So she speaks Korean. Yeah. Oh. And then she was, she was about 16, 17 years old when she, she immigrated to, um, to California. <laughs> okay. My father, he's, um, you know, American, born and raised, um, Uh-huh. Well, no, technically not born and raised. He was born in Seattle. But anyway, um, Okay. I think within that dynamic, um, you know, English became the main language because, you know, that was my, my dad definitely did not and still does not know Korean. But I think there's also this sense of like, um, well, will will the child be confused? Will will there be like mixed communications or, you know, you know, especially with California or the United States, this, you know, standardizing tests and. have making sure that they're on the right track 
right? So oh. that they, they, they're competitive, right? You don't mm -hmm. want to get, you know, you don't want to seem as if your child is underperforming. And then there's the risk of being held back a year oh. and just assimilating, right? Being able mm. to, like, again, be included and to have mm. no accent, quote unquote. Oh. Um, so I felt, you know, uh, this is something that, you know, I've, I've spoken with my mom before, right? Mm. But I've, I was always like, why didn't you speak to me more in Korean? You know, I was, as if I was like admonishing her for bad parents. She is not, of course not. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, you know, I think it, it's, there's there's a certain calculation that comes mm. into the minds of some people mm. and yes um, i've heard that before it's yeah true. and mm. it, it makes it really complicated you know because mm. um you know like i'm a, i'm a case where i didn't grow up bilingual but now i can safely say that yes i think my portuguese level is enough where i would qualify oh, yes. as a, I think a bilingual so. um but you know i took a different route than you know mm. for example how your life played out and you mm. know in some ways, you know, you just life gives you a set of cards and then things mm. play out in mm -hmm. whichever way. But life is long. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we see how it develops. But I, I just think about how it's like, yeah, it, it's not it, it's it's preferable in, in the situation of like, yes, bilingualism. But but then actually seeing it play out, it's there's so many things. Oh, going so many on. ways. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. 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 So, um, so yeah, um, I wanted to ask you, um, well, if you could share just a little bit, uh, you, you mentioned how like when you um, left, uh, I don't know if it was France or Switzerland, but you, you came Eventually, to Portugal. Yes, Switzerland. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you left Switzerland, you came to Portugal to study marine biology, fascinated mm -hmm. by the ocean. And then um, there was like this kind of shift for you mm -hmm. to kind of, you know, then look less on the you know the kind of like the ocean marine habitats mm. and more towards the land you know area um when you when you first like i don't know, made that decision and then you know went to experience um you know moving i mean i don't know if it was kenya the first time or mm. some other area of study like how was that experience like for you because it sounds like it was a very pivotal moment in your your career where you then were introduced to this different, mm. you know, area of science, but then mm. that shifted your attention to the people living on the other side of the fence, right? That were less protected and, mm. and then became very social and then anthropological. And then, so it just <laughs> seems like there was like this moment that just shifted you on a different path. And I, I'd love to hear more about how that was like for you. Okay. Um, uh... Okay. <laughs> yeah, so um, if this could be like maybe the last question, like the last yes, response. Okay. Well, I think that evolution happened gradually. I think it was also a matter of uh, of the classes um, that were being offered at the university in the biology uh, BS uh, in the biology degree at the time. Um, I don't know, I started to take classes in ecology, tropical ecology. They were really good classes that were very stimulating. So I started to drift slowly towards that. Then I had this incredible opportunity to, to go to South Africa. But yes, South Africa was really the pivotal moment, I have to say. Uh, I was there in 1997. President, well, Nelson Mandela was president. 
um, it was uh, it was a moment in the country that was full of hope, full of enthusiasm for the future. Uh, it was an incredible moment to be in South Africa and see see those changes. And it's such a complex complex nation, such an interesting layered. Uh, um, context uh, across, you know, all the dimensions of society, not just in the conservation realm. Um, but yes, yeah, like you described, it was really seeing those rural communities on the other side of the fence and wondering what, how do they feel? How do they feel about this? How do they feel about the wild animals on the other side, the wild animals that sometimes jump the fence, destroy their crops, but are will not be persecuted uh, while they destroy their livelihoods. And, and uh, yes, it was really somehow putting myself in their shoes and trying to, to understand their point of view, how they lived with conservation policies that uh, in some cases restrict their livelihoods. Yeah. Uh, that was the pivotal moment for me. Yes, trying. Uh, and I, be, I became curious about that question. Um, about that question. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, and I just, you know, to, to, to wrap things up right now, um, I think you know what you just shared in that experience really demonstrates a lot about you know global citizenship because you talk a lot about empathy. It's starting with these questions about what was what is life like for them on the other side. Mm. How are how are their lives affected by these you know, environmental uh, policies. And, and I think, you know, that curiosity, you know, really was, you know, that crucial moment driving you towards like what, what those answers could look like. Mm. And I think, you know, so much of us, you know, we take for granted, right, the power of these questions and how you don't need a lot. You just need one really good one to change your life. And I, absolutely, you know, from, from what I can see, you know, in all the work that you're doing, family that you're, you're, you're raising, constructing um together with your your husband it's it, you know definitely sees that like so much of it is um imbued with this this sense of like you know global citizenship um uh, recognizing and respecting other cultures and mm. um yeah and i just think that's really fantastic so this has been an excellent conversation yes really for me too to oh, <laughs> you're a great you. interviewer scott <laughs> oh no no please thank no, you, you are. And I, I really i really hope that we can um you know have more conversations in the future i really wish okay. you all the best thank you your research maybe you guys will move and <laughs> soon maybe not um that would be really <laughs> exciting but uh regardless let's uh stay in touch and uh yeah thank yes, you we will. One, yes. once again My many thanks to Joanna for sharing her perspectives and her stories about global citizenship. I really learned so much from this, this dialogue and it was just a joy to be able to hear the, the rich experiences that she had and to also feel on, on many levels uh, this kind of resonance with some of um, her views in terms of uh, you know the feeling of striving to go beyond one's comfort zone. Um, formation of identity, um, recognition of the, you know, the value of languages, multicultural uh, uh, and multi uh, polylingual. Uh, I think there's, there's so much to unpack from our conversation today. And I hope that those of you listening um, enjoyed and 
you know walk away from from the episode feeling that um, you know this these ideals of global citizenship are uh, never beyond our reach and even the act of putting oneself in the you know in, in the place of another and exercising the skill of empathy is a tremendous step towards really um, you know coming to grips with the interconnectedness of, of our lives within the world and the impact that we can have and that you know each of us within our own ways through living our lives and expected or unexpected ways um, you know we really create this unique narrative that can um, you know compel us towards seeing the world in a different way seeing other people in another way and also you know for ourselves how we view ourselves and that identity so much is shaped by our experiences and I think we were able to see that clearly through um, you know through the words of, of Joanna so again big thanks thank you so much and thank you those of you listening to this episode i appreciate it and uh, i'll catch you on the next episode